1: Hello and welcome to Something's Not Right. I'm Olivia. And I'm Tashana. We've got a long story for you tonight. This episode is all about two East Tennessee murders. But because there's a Canadian angle, we've asked Scott Hemingway, co-host of Dark Poutine, to join us. Hi, Scott. Hi. Before I let you talk... Or let anybody talk. Um, I'm just going to say that tonight's story kind of has it all. It's got toxic masculinity and a sense of entitlement to women's bodies. All the things we love. Drugs. Robert Stack. (gasps) And Canada. Wow. So after a short break, we're going to talk about the murders of Kathy Clowers and Roxanne Woodson.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: The bulk of the information in tonight's story comes from court documents. So I'm not going to go through over and over and say court records say. You're just going to have to believe me on that. If I got it somewhere else, it'll be noted. And as usual, you can find links to all of the sources in our show notes because we don't plagiarize. Dun, dun, duh. Dun, Lord. Dun, never gonna let it go
2: I well you you're the best at holding on
1: mm-hmm yeah and
2: that's they wrote that Wilson that was some Phillips songs about Olivia
1: <laughs> about Olivia and grudges about holding on
0: holding on to, to grudges and not letting them go
1: is that yeah. what I'm
0: picking okay, okay. noted that's noted
1: that's me
0: God uh, because I have like I've plagiarized like four of your shows
1: well I'm coming after you
0: for That's that. okay. That's yeah, all right.
1: It's going to be an international incident.
0: <laughs> I'm Most
1: okay with it. of this case takes place in and near Teleco Plains, Tennessee. We will get to Canada way later on. Um, but Teleco Plains is a small rural community in Monroe County, Tennessee. And when I say small, I mean the population is around like 900. Damn. So oh, that's That's now. Petite. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's small. And then I don't know what it was in 1978. It could have been even smaller, but it is in the southeastern part of the state. It's kind of settled into the foothills of the Appalachian mountain range. Hey,
0: so sorry to interrupt. You you say Appalachian.
1: Mm hmm.
0: We say I say Appalachian.
1: Yeah. And if you ask people from there, guess which one of us they will tell you is right. Appalachian? Mm hmm. nope. Sorry.
0: All right. Sorry to interrupt. Continue.
1: Teleco Plains is, like, right next to part of the Cherokee National Forest, which plays a significant role in both of the murders that I'm going to tell you about. Mm -hmm. And we will start on February 27th, 1978, when 15-year-old Frankie Harris, I'm going to be throwing a bunch of names at you, and these ones you don't necessarily have to remember. I'll let you know which ones you really need to remember, but so we got this 15-year-old Frankie Harris, his cousin Charles Bovard, who was 13, and Charles's brother Wilbur, who was 16. Oh. And they were hanging out with Frankie's girlfriend, who you do need to remember, 16-year-old Roxanne Faye Woodson, in the Bovard's Monroe County, Tennessee yard. And it was around dusk when this 25-year-old friend of the three cousins pulled up and asked the teenagers if they wanted to go riding around. You know, we're talking about a rural area, and that's kind of what kids do for fun. Ride Mm. around, drink, whatever. But let's pause for a second and note how creepy it is for a 25-year-old man to want to hang out with a bunch of teenagers. Kids. It just feels a little inappropriate.
0: I fully support that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, uber creepy.
2: It is creepy, but I think maybe, hopefully, it's changing some, but I think that happened a lot more than, than people sometimes want to acknowledge.
1: Yeah. I, that wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah.
2: For I sure. I mean, I kind of
1: hung out with some older people when I was a teenager, but it was just to get them to buy me cigarettes. No, I definitely hung out with older people. No one took advantage of me, but I took advantage of the opportunity to have someone buy cigarettes for me.
0: <laughs> I, 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 Nobody hung out with me. Oh. Just period. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to.
1: Tiny violin. Give, give me attention. <laughs> so this guy, this 25-year-old, his name was Joseph Arlen Shepard, known to everybody as Joe. And I'm going to stop here to give you kind of a mini biography of some of his life really quickly. Okay. So Shepard was born in Sweetwater, Tennessee in 1952. He was the youngest of 11 children. What? In a very poor family. Yeah, because they had to feed all those kids. Yeah,
0: that's not going to help.
1: And he only attended school through third grade. I don't. I don't know what prompted him to drop out, like if he was having trouble or if it was something else. But later testing, like many years later, by a clinical psychiatrist, no, psychologist, sorry, revealed that Shepard's average IQ was only 88. And he he tested at a third grade reading level and fifth grade math level. So clearly, yeah, he had some some kind of serious disadvantages pretty much out of the gate. Mm-hmm. To make matters worse, later court records revealed that the same clinical psychologist testified that Shepard, quote, exhibited the guarded personality typical of the burned child syndrome, which is oh. caused by being emotionally put down as a child or an uneducated, end quote. So mm. that's a serious problem. Testimony also established that Shepard had a really dependent personality. He tested low in dominance. So in other words, he was not a leader. He was kind of a follower. Okay. Supposedly he wasn't sociopathic, didn't have antisocial personality disorder. Testimony from that psychologist did assert that Shepard was, quote, basically (laughs) nonviolent.
0: Basically. Basically. Basically.
1: And. I mean, I think I feel like maybe we can sense where this is going and why I would question that. I wish I had more information on sort of the scope and context of that statement, because, you know, from my non-psychologist standpoint, it seems to me like he was more than capable of violence.
0: He's basically not murdery. Basically.
2: Well, maybe it means that I don't know the full story yet, but that. Unless he's in a situation where he's going along
1: with someone else. Could be. Well, I mean, perhaps. We'll see. Court records from 1991 noted that Shepard was treated for depression and anxiety in 1976 and 78. And actually, in early 76, he entered a mental health facility. He was complaining of feeling tense and having trouble sleeping. And so that led to a diagnosis of depression and, and also suicidal thoughts. I don't know any details there. But on its face, that's not out of the ordinary. I mean, I'm treated for depression and anxiety, and probably like half our listeners are, too. The only reason that I'm noting it here is that at some point... He was prescribed a drug. It was at some point in 76. He was prescribed a drug to treat his anxiety, and that is going to come back up. Mm. So file that away in your brain region. Filed. Filed. As far as a criminal record, I have this 1980 FBI law enforcement bulletin, and it only listed a petty larceny conviction. However, I dug up this appeal from, like, way later on that mentioned charges uh, in the rape of two women Mm. in 1977 and then the rape and kidnapping of two other women in 1978. Couldn't find confirmation that he was ever convicted of any of those. But the fact that those allegations exist is scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, in the late 70s, Shepard was... Like six feet tall, weight around 150 to 155. Later on, if I I do, I think, get into distances once or twice here. So I apologize to everybody that I got so wrapped up in writing this. I didn't do the conversion, but guess what? Deal
2: if with you. You're listening it?
1: to a podcast. I think you know how to use Google. Oh. <laughs> you can compare it.
0: Rather bold of you to assume. Right.
1: I'm ready to start an international incident at any moment. <laughs> yes. Okay. So anyway, so this guy had like a slender build. He had brown hair, green eyes, worked as an auto mechanic, though he might have been unemployed by 1978. I, you know, the, you can run across so many conflicting details in this research and that's that's going to happen more and more. So people need to understand sometimes when there are mistakes that a podcaster makes, it's... Because the source material is always so contradictory. so it, it, But that doesn't really matter that he worked as an auto mechanic. I'm going to cut all that out. Anyway. <laughs> I think
2: you should leave it.
0: Well, maybe That's the best. I will. It's my favorite.
1: So now you've got a little bit of a sense of Joe Shepard. And so we're going to go back to that Monroe County yard where he's picking up a bunch of teenagers. Roxanne, she's obviously a good kid and she went and asked her dad if she could go with this group of friends and she got the okay. And so the five of them first went to the Bovard boys' grandfather's home in Mount Vernon so Wilbur could call his girlfriend, Judy McDaniel. I don't, maybe they didn't have a home phone, but he wanted to ask her to come hang out with them. And uh, some later testimony revealed that members of the party may have been drinking alcohol, though I couldn't find out who, but, You know, like, that doesn't seem significant to me. We're talking about a bunch of teenagers in a small town. It's like what you do to pass the time.
2: Yep. Absolutely.
1: Maybe the adult man providing alcohol for them could be a bit of an issue. But Correct. Charles would later testify that Frankie and Wilbur went inside the house to make that call while he stayed behind in the car with Roxanne and Shepard. And Shepard took a large hunting knife out from under the seat in the car and he played with it for a little bit and then he brushed it across Roxanne's breasts. What?
0: Jeez. Which
1: that's very upsetting. One and two, to Shauna, like all I can think of is the that one scene in Demons. Yes. That's exactly where my (laughs) mind
2: went with the Billy Idol song playing.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um shortly after that, Frankie and Wilbur came back to the car with pills don't oh. know what they were um that detail does not come up again
0: <laughs> well, what were what were qualudes or something isn't that wasn't that big at the time
1: i qualudes were a big thing at the time i don't they, they weren't mentioned in any of the paperwork like the court paperwork that i saw on any of this stuff but um there will okay. be one drug that one pharmaceutical drug that is named later and it's not Quaaludes.
0: okay well in my head it's qualudes
1: Okay,
2: man, well, we you gotta go you that. gotta call them lewds, or you yeah. or you sound like <laughs> or you sound like a fucking cop, man. That, <laughs> oh shit, the jig is up.
1: That's what my mom calls them as lewds. Okay, wow. So so they come back to the car with the lewds, and uh, <laughs> the group headed to Teleco Plains, the big city, not a big city, uh, and picked up Judy. So now they're a group of six and they drove to the steel bridge over the Teleco river. I think they're kind of getting into the national forest there now. And they parked and talked for a few minutes. That's probably code for like smoking pot. <gasps> I know. Are you clutching your pearls? Oh, I got the vapors. So to give you an idea about the setting, it's a wooded area just right outside of Teleco Plains, And it, Like I said, it's part of the Cherokee National Forest. And I wouldn't call it remote because it is right next to the town, but it was probably pretty quiet and dark at night. Mm -hmm. And so at about 8 p.m., Judy and Wilbur get into this argument because it's a teenage couple. and That's what they do. And they decided to walk back to town. I guess they didn't want to sort it out in front of everybody. And so they told Shepard, just pick us up later.
2: Well, that was very considerate of them.
1: Right? Because who wants to hang out with that couple that is sniping at each other? I've definitely been there. So the rest of the group decided, oh, we're going to drive back to Teleco. But when they got to Teleco Beach, which you know, Scott, I would assume that we are landlocked here in Tennessee. So we're not talking about an actual beach. This is oh, like... I thought Tennessee was coastal. Hush. So there's this little river it is a really small river running through there and basically i think they had like an area they've got a couple of areas they call such and such beach and i think there's like picnic tables there you know it's a place where you can stop and Mm -hmm. hang out i don't know maybe fish fish, do whatever people do so when they get to Telico beach just along the river shepherd turns up this road called old furnace road which sounds creepy to me
0: yeah, like I would like to know the history of that name of that road.
1: Well, I'm sure it's like one of those big, like brick smelting furnaces was up there somewhere. But it just it sounds creepy, and it I think it dead ends in the woods, if I remember. Because if there
0: wasn't a if there wasn't a furnace involved in the naming of that, I'm greatly disappointed.
1: Yeah, well then maybe there's a real story to it. Dun, dun, dun. They drive up this creepy ass road about a mile, and then they stop the car. And it was around then that uh, Shepard started making sexual advances toward Roxanne. Again, she's 16. He's 25. So she turns him down. But like a true creep, he keeps hassling her for like minutes at a time. And she continues to resist. Charles Beauvard testified later that Shepard jumped into the back seat where Roxanne was sitting with Frankie and started, quote, wrestling with her. And everyone else hopped out of the car.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know why you would hop out instead of, uh, you know, trying to stop it. Yeah. Roxanne was, quote, crying and hysterical. I mean, I would be too. So. Frankie worked to calm her, and about that time, Shepard comes up and approaches Roxanne with a gun what? Mm. and says, quote, if you don't shut up, I'm going to blow your brains out. Jesus. Because so that's the way to calm somebody down.
0: That's it's, I've, probably quite effective.
1: So there was some talk later on that the gun was a toy, but that was never definitively determined one way or the other. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. If she believed it was a real gun, then that is fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The boys talked to Roxanne... These are the the teenage boys who was by this time outside of the car. And so they talked her into getting back in the car and they continued up the mountain a little ways. And then they found a spot that had been clear cut by loggers and pulled over again. Frankie Harris's testimony was a little bit different from Charles Bovard's in that in his account, he said that the whole thing with Shepard wrestling Roxanne and pulling the gun happened at the second stop. I mean, either way, it's that's really probably not that important. But he also said that Shepard demanded sex while he had the gun pointed at her. So we're ratcheting up the level of how fucked up this is. These discrepancies, though, they're probably not going to affect your interpretation of this story. I just want to note them. Testimony from both Frankie and Charles indicated that they got out to pee during the second stop on Old Furnace Road. They said Shepherd also got out and he came up to them and asked them to take a walk so that he could talk to Roxanne to get her to chill out so she wouldn't, quote, call the law on him, you know, for trying to rape her, I guess. Mm-hmm. What a dick. Yeah. So Frankie and Charles go off to pee and, you know, they walk a ways down to do it to take up some time. But they're coming back after about five minutes and, and that's important. Five minutes is an important detail. So file that okay. one away, too. Filed. As they approached, they heard what sounded like, you know, like scuffling, a physical altercation. And they heard Roxanne say, you son of a bitch. So <sighs> something is not right, as we say around here. Yeah. But. By the time they reached the car, Shepard and Roxanne weren't there. And then after about a minute, Shepard comes running out of the woods and he told Frankie and Charles that Roxanne had thrown a comb at him. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a terrible. <laughs> no, I paused because I knew. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A comb.
0: Well, I mean, let's not like it depends on how big the comb is.
1: I mean, I have a big-ass shampoo comb in my shower. it probably that hurt right? if it knocked you on the head. but Or it
0: could be like a, like a three-foot-long toy comb.
1: Right. Yeah, so she threw a comb at him. I think it was like probably a matter of whatever you can get your hands on to throw at this fucking creeper. Sure, and, yeah. And he said she, she ran off. So they all three called out for her, and they walked the road a little bit to try and find her, but they eventually had to return to the car. And they start heading down the mountain and they, they would stop every now and then to look and like the whole way down there, they're calling her name out, out the window. And there was this one single home on the road. So they stopped there to ask the man who lived there if he'd seen her. And he hadn't. The two teens and Shepherd then headed back to Teleco. So they've just left this girl in the woods now. And... That's where they reacquired Judy and Wilbur. And then they took Judy and dropped her off. And then Shepard and the three boys went back to the mountain, resumed calling out to Roxanne. And they didn't see or hear her. So Shepard said, "Okay, I'm going to take you guys home. And he assured them he would come back to look for Roxanne. And then he also told them not to tell anyone what had gone down. Bad hmm. news. Yeah. The next day, Roxanne's dad stopped by Frankie's house and Charles's house looking for his daughter, who, of course, wasn't there. And when he heard that she had run off into the night, this huge search began. Every Everybody called it a massive search. And they, they took a bloodhound up there to that second spot where the car had stopped on the Old Furnace Road. And the dog was given a piece of Roxanne's clothes. So it could know what to follow. And it tracked the scent from the road, like where the car would be parked, to a brush pile about 100 yards away. Mm. And the trail ended there. So it didn't, you know, go on from there anywhere. but, But she wasn't there. It was almost like, I don't know, she was there and then maybe back to the car. Who knows? Yeah. But. It was noted that the brush looked like it had been disturbed, and there was maybe kind of like an indentation in it. That night, authorities went to Shepard's home in Telico Plains, where he lived with his parents, Velma and Louis Shepard. Velma is a good name. During the conversation, Shepard told officers he'd show them where he last saw Roxanne, but he said first he needed to go put on his coat and shoes. So he heads to his bedroom and the officers can hear him in there just like talking to himself, really pissed off. And to nobody Mm. in particular, he says, quote, I'm getting goddamn tired of being aggravated by these sons of bitches about these damn whores.
2: Good grief.
0: Right? Holy crackers.
1: It was then that Shepard came out of his bedroom holding a shotgun.
2: Good God.
1: Yeah, that's smart. So thinking fast, one officer pushes this nearby sheriff's deputy out of the way and pulls his gun and he fires a warning shot at Shepard. And sort of in the chaos and confusion, Shepard's mom and dad were able to disarm him and restrain him. Thank goodness they weren't like trying to help him get away or whatever. Needless to say, Shepard was taken into the custody of the Monroe County Sheriff's Department at that point, you know, assaulting an officer and what have you. Just to make a note here, though, that's that's exactly what he was taken into custody for was was assaulting an officer, not because of the situation with Roxanne, who is Mm -hmm. still missing. The following day, so February 29th, authorities took Shepard to the spot where Roxanne was last seen. And according to court records, Shepard, quote, participated in the search. I don't know what that means, but I feel like when you have somebody who's potentially a suspect in something, it's not good to take them to a possible crime scene Um... because if you find traces of them there, then like their lawyer can say, oh, well, it's from when he was participating in the search.
0: And they could also try to cover something up.
1: Right. Yeah, I
2: mean, if it unless it's like been along like it's been totally
1: processed. True, true. Good point. Well, they didn't find anything. And according to court documents, Shepard jumped bail a day or two later.
0: Huh, I wouldn't good. have guessed.
1: Yeah, shocking. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't too long before authorities caught back up with him. They went to his ex-in-law's home in Gastonia, North Carolina, on March 29th, and they were told he wasn't there. However, they found him hiding under some quilts, and I wish I had uh, written down what the guy said on Unsolved Mysteries, which, I mean, spoiler alert, I think I said something about Robert Stack earlier, but this was on Unsolved Mysteries, and... And I highly recommend watching it because these people just have such delightful accents. But he was like, said there was, I think, a child sleeping in a bed and Shepard was like rolled up in a blanket at the foot of the bed like nobody was going to notice him. What? (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. But uh, Shepard declined to waive extradition. And so he was going to remain in North Carolina for the time being. Mm. Just a little over a week later, on April 8th, and we're still in 1978 here, things took a very dark turn. Shepard's mother, Velma, looked out the kitchen window, and she noticed the family's dogs wouldn't seem to stay away from an area in the yard that was filled with junk and weeds. You know where this is going.
0: Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Pretty much every newspaper account said this was the home's backyard. And the court documents said front yard. I don't know that it matters, but... Well, as
0: long as there was a yard involved.
1: Yeah, I just like to highlight these inconsistencies just to give people an idea of how messy research Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Velma went out into the yard to investigate this junk pile. It's about 100 feet from the house. According to the Unsolved Mysteries wiki... When she moved aside this car seat that was covering the area where the dogs had been sort of focused, she's shocked because she sees a pair of hands sticking out of the ground.
0: Uh, it's like
1: fuck. <gasps> horror movie shit. And so Roxanne Woodson was no longer missing. This next part fuck. is going to get a little bit graphic so for anyone sensitive to that sort of thing, skip ahead, like, 30 seconds. Court documents described Roxanne's body and clothes as follows. Quote, Her hands, which were described as gnarled and weathered, and her half-eaten toes were protruding from the ground. Upon That's exhumation, her putrescent body was found lying on its back with a denim jacket wrapped around her head. The upper torso was clad in a shirt and bra. Except for socks on the feet, the body was nude from the waist down. A pair of rust-colored pants and pink panties lay on or next to the body, and her shoes had been placed beside each knee. End quote. I can't even. Uh, Yeah. I mean, basically... I think what we want to take away from that is that, you know, she's partially undressed in a manner that's sort of consistent with sexual assault or attempted sexual assault. Yes. Then the the denim jacket covering her face is going to become relevant later. Mm-hmm. The clothing found with Roxanne's remains matched the description of what she'd worn the night she disappeared. Later testimony from Frankie Harris said that she was fully dressed when he last saw her. An autopsy determined that Roxanne had been in the ground for several weeks. So, I mean, that's, that's consistent with the time that she was missing. Yeah. Roxanne's remains were positively identified through dental records. But because there were no obvious signs of trauma, you know, like cuts they could see or bruising or foreign objects like bullets or knives in her body, there wasn't an obvious cause of death.
0: Oh, interesting
1: a pathologist later testified that a blow to the head that was enough to kill her would have left a sign that he would have seen an autopsy. And this is one detail you'll want to keep in mind when you hear Shepard's version or one of his versions of what happened. However, the pathologist did testify that if Roxanne suffered like a less severe blow to the head, one that was just enough to knock her unconscious rather than outright kill her, that's the kind of thing that it would be possible for him to miss in his examination. I'm guessing like maybe the level of decomposition would be enough to erase signs of it. Mm. Because with the less severe blow, I think you're probably looking at maybe like bruising or swelling to the skin, but nothing no damage to the skull. And if you know if you're decomposing, you might not see that. Yeah. Yeah. Court records indicated that Quote, the cause of death most consistent with the physical findings was asphyxiation or suffocation. This was backed up by evidence of hemorrhage in the larynx. And the pathologist noted that strangulation was a possibility, but he didn't see any damage to cartilage or bones in Roxanne's neck that would support that. Just because Mm. it's, you know, that's a little more violent.
0: No purchase necessary for were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: The pathologist said he found no evidence of sperm at autopsy, but the time that had elapsed could have caused sperm cells to break down and be undetectable. And he also found no evidence of drugs or alcohol in Roxanne's system, but did detect some low levels of acetone or ethanol, which were probably just by, byproducts of decomposition. hmm so in my opinion, I don't think he raped her just because there wasn't time. I think he probably tried and I don't know if he set out to kill her, but I think, you know, in the process of trying to subdue her, to sexually assault her, she fought back and he killed her.
0: Judging by what he said in his room, by overheard by the officers, he, he doesn't think very highly of women
2: hmm
0: and uh sounds like he has a lot of rage and so I can understand if maybe there wasn't sexual assault per se, but uh, still a lot of violence directed towards her right I just like just with her being undressed uh waist down.
1: I mean that's that's why <sighs> I think he attempted it. I don't think. If that timeline is accurate that those other boys were away for five minutes, I don't mm, yeah. I don't think it was a completed act, but I think that's what was on the way to happening and somehow she ended up dead.
0: Yeah, good point.
2: What about before this is really morbid for me to think this way, but what about before he buried her?
1: Um that mm, mm. that occurred to me as well. I mean, he wouldn't be the first, not yep. by a long shot, so that is that is possible, but we may never know. Shepard was still being held in North Carolina, and uh, this is when he started speaking with investigators about Roxanne, like the day after she was found. He told the authorities that someone else had put Roxanne in his yard to make him, quote, look bad. But later, cops to burying her there himself. However, he claimed he didn't kill her. In this Mm. version of events, Shepard said that after sending Frankie and Charles on their walk, he went back to the car to try and, quote, get him some. Classy. Mm -hmm. According to Shepard, Roxanne, unable to resist his charms, give me a fucking break, Ugh. started to pull down her pants. But now that she had supposedly agreed to have sex with Shepard, he suddenly decided that he wasn't interested, quote, Oh my God. after all the hassle he had been through. Again, give me a fucking break.
0: Yeah. No kidding.
1: What a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, a douche canoe.
1: Shepard said he then got out of the car so he could call Frankie and Charles to come back. It was at this point, according to Shepard, that Roxanne also got out of the car and started to dart away. However, she only got about eight to 10 feet before Shepard said she tripped and hit her head, quote, on a rock or something.
0: This is all so convenient.
1: Yeah. And if we look back to that autopsy, you know, He did say, like, if if she hit her head hard enough to kill her, he would have seen something. Yeah. Shepard claimed he then checked Roxanne for a pulse. And one authority would later testify that Shepard said he found a pulse, while another said Shepard claimed he felt a pulse but couldn't get her to respond. So I guess she's alive. Shepard told the investigators that he covered Roxanne's face and body with a denim jacket to keep her warm. That would be the one found over her face in her shallow grave. Then he ran up and down the hill so he'd look breathless like he'd been chasing her in the woods when he saw Frankie and Charles again. What? I know. That's crazy. And, and again, like we're talking about all of this is going on in the space of like five minutes. And he went on to describe basically what Frankie and Charles would later testify to as far as how he told them that she'd run off and how they searched for her and he took them home. So that part was consistent. Hmm. Shepard told the investigators he then came back to the mountain and checked Roxanne to see if she was still breathing. This is when he's alone. He said he saw a little blood on the right side of her face, but couldn't hear a heartbeat. He claimed he put water on her (sighs) face in this fruitless effort to revive her. Next, he put her in the car and drove down to the river where he tried to wake her by splashing more water on her face. According to Shepard, he then drove to town trying to find the chief of police. Mm, i'm not buying that i'm not buying that but after having no luck he took her to his house and once he was there he tried to wash her face with alcohol what wake her Uh, yes exactly what it says in my notes what (laughs) these
2: people have no like concept clearly of uh cpr i mean it's all probably bullshit anyway but still like you couldn't have came up with something better than that? You couldn't have right? lied and said you tried to give her CPR? I
0: No, no, I, I put alcohol on her
1: face. Let me just, just get a little rubbing alcohol. Or some water. Yeah. Just splash some water on her. Yeah. yeah. Well, that alcohol didn't work because of course it didn't. What? So, I know, shocking. So then he just figures, oh, I'll bury her not one for efficiency he dug the grave with a mattock which is basically like a small pickaxe and i'm maybe everybody knows that i had to look it up
0: no i have no fucking idea so
1: yeah he he digs the grave with a mattock in his bare hands and he said he took her pants off and unbuttoned the blouse with the excuse that he planned to burn her clothes but then changed his mind for whatever oh. reason. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit just, on that. Yeah, because what would the purpose be of burning them? Your her body is buried right there. Yeah, I don't. know. Yeah. So no, the yeah. I but think I mean, they were already off because of a you know a sexual assault or an attempt at one. This
0: is ridiculous. It
1: is. It's and it's good God. It's just gonna get worse. So
2: what? And it, oh it, great. And he just decided not to. Like, he was yeah, going mean, to burn them, and it was like, eh, it's too much trouble. Yeah.
1: Makes no sense <laughs> at all. Jesus. In a statement to police, Shepard said he wasn't certain, but he thought it was possible that Roxanne might have been alive
2: still oh, when he buried her. <gasps> her. <gasps> I hate that. You know, that's like one of my biggest fears oh.
1: is being buried alive. Yeah, I'm- it's there's there is a, a strong possibility of it here the pathologist who examined her body would later testify when asked if she had been buried alive that he didn't know he said he didn't find dirt in her mouth or lungs which is normally an indicator if someone was yeah. buried alive but he said you know that jacket was put over her face before she was covered covered with oh. the dirt so that could change things so Fuck. for her sake, I hope she was already gone by the time he started throwing dirt on her, because that is too awful to have to think about.
0: The fact that he mentioned it makes me think that he had an indication that she was. Yeah. Movement or moaning or something. So otherwise he just wouldn't have mentioned it.
2: It
1: wouldn't surprise me.
2: Well, yeah, especially because that's Fuck. the kind of statement that would very much like sway a jury when it comes to that kind of thing. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, so you yeah. bury, but burying someone alive is like,
1: it's just
2: sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck.
1: One odd detail in the court record had Shepard telling the investigators that the denim jacket he'd covered her with ought to still be on the mountain, which made no sense to me because obviously it was found covering her face, but that was, that was there in the record. So that's strange. There may have been more explanation of that in the trial transcript, but that's not something I could get my hands on. I had uh, some summaries that were contained within appeals is where I got a lot of this stuff. As for the mattock and also a rag that he used to wipe her face, he said he'd thrown those into the Telco river. And as far as I know, those were not recovered. Shepard went on to tell the investigators that he'd slapped her a few times when they were still in the car, but that he was, quote, only playing with her. I have a major oh. fucking problem with that. I don't think yeah. anyone has ever slapped me in my life. And if they did, it would be a huge fucking deal. It's assault, period. And it is never fun or funny unless it happens on Dallas or Dynasty, right, to <laughs>
2: <laughs> no for sure it's acceptable if Alexis is doing
1: it. That's right.
2: yeah
0: this guy clearly just he he does not think of women as uh, worth anything just because if, if slapping a woman to him if he can consider that playing like yeah he he he's got a very flawed view of uh, uh, how to treat humans.
1: Bad news. Yeah. I don't know the context, but court records said that Shepard also told investigators he would tell them, quote, how Roxanne really died after he got mm. psychiatric treatment. My notes say I have questions. I don't know. I wrote that on there somewhere. Um, spoiler alert, though. I don't have answers. But uh, <laughs> it, so well, whatever that promise was, he, he didn't follow through on it.
0: Well, and just saying that is another strong, one of many strong indications that he's not being forthright. And yeah, there's a a, a surprise. Uh, It wasn't an accident.
1: Mm -hmm. Shepard would later claim that all of these statements that he made to investigators, you know, about what happened were involuntary and should have been suppressed in his eventual trial, which we're not going to get to until... little later on, he said that the questioning started around 3.30 a.m. and lasted until 3.00 p.m. of that day and that he was only read his rights around 1.30 or 2.30. And he claimed further that he didn't waive those rights. He also claimed that the investigators and D.A. threatened to lock up his parents, burn down his house and take his children. What? Because that makes so much sense. Shepherd alleged that one of the investigators got violent with him, punching him in the stru- punching him in the stomach, grabbing his throat, and pushing him against a wall. Authorities countered that the interrogation started around 4 a.m. Started out by reading him his Miranda rights, which he waived. They said he agreed to talk but wouldn't sign anything. And additionally, he told authorities that he had an attorney there in North Carolina, but didn't need him to be present for the questioning.
0: Uh, okay.
1: It was their contention that the interrogation lasted until around 11 a.m. or noon with breaks for breakfast and bathroom trips. And uh, furthermore, they said Shepard never asked him the questioning, nor was he harmed or threatened. So I guess it just comes down to who you believe there. I have a little trouble. Not, not Shepard. Yeah, his credibility is... Uh, a little shaky. I couldn't find the exact date, but sometime between April 9th and 13th, he was returned to Tennessee. So now we have to rewind a few years and introduce someone new into this narrative. <gasps> Remember how I told you it gets worse?
0: Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Cat- is this where it gets worse?
1: This is where it gets worse. Mm. Kathy Ann Clowers was born in Inglewood, Tennessee, which is in McMinn County. Just as an aside, if you plan on Googling her, I have seen Kathy spelled with both a C and a K. And it appears on court documents and on Unsolved Mysteries spelled with a K. She's got a modest gravestone that you can see on Find a Grave. It's spelled with a C there. Um, And I'd be inclined to trust that gravestone. But then again, the gravestone lists her date of death as... Something that is definitely incorrect and probably was the date that she was buried. There are huh. some more discrepancies like that, too. Um, so I was able to locate very little information on her as far as searches of newspaper archives and online court records and general Googling. I mean, most of what I have here came from this narrative given in an appeal, and then, you know, maybe a little bit from Unsolved Mysteries. So in late March of 1976, so we're bouncing back a couple of years, Kathy was 16 years old, or at least I think she was 16, because different articles and sources list her as 14, 15, and 16. That gravestone that has the incorrect date of death lists her birthday as 1961. Then the member of law enforcement later testified that she was born in 1959, My point is don't email me and tell me I'm wrong because who (laughs) knows what's right? You know, get a life, get a life. Kathy lived in Liberty Hill, an unincorporated community in the National Forest, about halfway between Telco Plains and Athens, Tennessee. And she came from an impoverished family and she had learning disabilities She was part of a special education program in school, and her teacher would testify later on that her mental capabilities were that of someone much younger. The same teacher also described Kathy as loving and outgoing, showing no signs of depression or inclination towards suicide. So this is going to take a sad turn. We know Kathy was hanging out with Shepard one night in March of 1976, but the stories he gave different people about what happened that night vary significantly. He told one friend that Kathy took off with some boys and went to Florida. He told a girlfriend that some other boys had overdosed her. She died and was buried. He told that same girlfriend's sister, who he also dated, that he killed a girl and buried her up there in the forest. He told an investigator that he was doing drugs with the girl. He passed out for a long time. I think he said, like, a day or a day and a half, so that's some serious drug usage. And when he woke up, she was dead, so he buried her. And then he also told that same investigator another story where he said that he and the girl were doing drugs with a group of friends, but then he left for a while, and he came back, and the friends told him that the girl was taken to a truck stop. So we've got a, a lot of different stories, regardless of which, if any of them are true, the fact remains that Kathy vanished that night. Mm. So now we go back to 1978. A former girlfriend of Shepherd's showed up with her mom to speak with law enforcement, and she had a tale to tell. She repeated the story that Shepard had told her about other boys overdosing a girl and burying her up in the forest. And authorities confronted Shepard with the story, and Shepard said he could take them to the grave. So on April 13th, just right after Shepard was brought back to Tennessee from North Carolina, he led a sheriff's deputy to a shallow grave in Talico Mountains close to the community of Farner and according to an article published in the Tennessean. This was in the Cherokee National Forest in what the Kingsport Times News described as, quote, a dense laurel thicket about 17 miles southwest of the location where Roxanne Woodson had been buried, or where her body was found, I guess. In the grave was the mostly naked body of Kathy Clowers. So this is, like, a couple of years after she went missing. As for how Kathy died, there was not a straight answer from Shepard, obviously. Now, we've discussed, you and I, Tashauna, Dr. William M. Bass, many times. Oh, yes. Most of you will probably already know this. I mean, even those of you outside of Tennessee, I think he is at least nationally known. But he is an anthropologist and the guy who started the famed body farm at the University of Tennessee. Are you familiar with that at all, Scott?
0: Oh, I'm familiar with the body farm. Yeah. Okay. I don't I I didn't know. I didn't know the individual's name or anything like that. Who created it? The doctor?
1: Yeah, he comes up a lot uh, because we do a lot of Tennessee cases and he gets called in to Uh, check stuff out. So that's who we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I I mean I mean I can't imagine there being a lot of body farms. I'm pretty sure this is the one I
1: This is the first one. I think that maybe one or two others have been established. It's probably hard to find a neighborhood that'll accept that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Dr. Bass was called in to examine the remains at the site. Kathy's grave was about three or four hundred yards from the road, and there were a lot of roots covering her remains, which were skeletal at that point, most of her clothing looked like it was off. And according Mm. to Dr. Bass, the grave was dug, and then a denim jacket was laid across the bottom, I guess, before she was put in. So we got another denim jacket here. Now, for Kathy's clothes, one leg of her jeans was, like, folded over her skull, covering her face, much like Roxanne's face had been covered with that jacket. And then the rest of the pair of jeans was kind of draped over her torso and unzipped. They were not on her. And her bra was off. It was resting on her left arm. Her underwear was also off and sat beside her knees. But she still had on a red shirt. So, I mean, I think what we take away from this is that especially since she was underground, this was in a situation where, like, her clothes were kind of off of her just because of decomposition. They weren't on, like, they weren't around her legs or anything. So she clearly went in like that. So, again, sexual assault, red flags. For sure. Though the remains were mostly skeletonized, some tissue remained, including brain tissue. And so this was sent off to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation for Toxicological Testing. According to the Tennessean, traces of an antidepressant prescribed for Shepard were found in her brain tissue, but they couldn't actually determine the cause of death. So eventual testimony would reveal that it was this drug called Doxepin, Which I'm not familiar with. I don't, it could be one of those things they don't really prescribe anymore. It's not a drug that was commonly abused, they said. They said it like didn't give you a good feeling. It said it could cause sleepiness, blurred vision, and dry mouth. I feel like people do kind of recreationally choose things sometimes that just make you sleepy.
2: Oh, for sure.
1: I think they just, I mean, it's not like, awesome on the level of benzos or whatever, but I mean, I think stuff like that gets abused. I don't know, but I don't think, I think the point was more like she wouldn't have been taking those by choice necessarily. Right. A toxicologist later testified that it would dissolve easily in a beer, but that it was also dangerous when mixed with alcohol. The level of doxapin found in Kathy's brain tissue was pretty low and actually much lower than what would be a fatal dosage. But court records indicate that toxicologists had no way of knowing what the concentration was at the time she died because of post-mortem redistribution. Okay, so I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I looked it up, but my understanding of it is kind of weak. I think that It's a drug that can kind of migrate elsewhere into the body after death. So if you only have brain tissue left to test, the concentration there could have changed if the drug kind of moved out to other organs, which could have had a higher concentration of it. But like in a case like this, those organs might have decomposed by the time the body was found. So the point is, she could have taken a huge amount. We really don't know. There's, there is a good possibility there that she died as a result of the doxipin. In any case, like Roxanne, can't determine a cause of death for Kathy. However, authorities believe that it was either likely that overdose scenario or strangulation or suffocation. If it was suffocation... It would probably be the result of being buried alive. Ontario's London Free Press would report on this years and years later, and they brought up again how she was buried with that the leg of her pants covering her face, just like Roxanne had had the the jacket on her face. So I think you know that could obscure that whole being buried alive thing and inhaling in dirt. So that's that's another strong possibility. My instinct here is that she died, you know, generally in the same manner that I think Roxanne died. I think Shepard somehow killed her during a sexual assault. And or he accidentally overdosed her when he was trying to get her drugged for the purpose of sexual assault. And the state of her clothing backs up that sexual assault angle, too.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the covering of the face is typically uh, when the perpetrator...
1: Feels bad.
0: Yeah, they don't want to be. They don't. It can seem like they're the the person they're victimizing is uh, looking at them, and so they want to cover it, cover their head or face to, uh, Yeah. uh, yeah, to help them deal with not being an ass.
1: I read in a Tennessean article that later testimony from a sheriff's deputy revealed that that deputy believed. Shepard's motivation for taking them to Kathy's body was so that he could try to escape. Oh. Yeah. For whatever reason, he didn't go through with it that day. But a few days later, on April 17th, he was formally indicted for Kathy's murder. And the plan for him was to face trials for both killings later on that year. Still 1978. But things don't always go as planned. On July 17th, an inmate in the cell near Joe's at the Bradley County Jail pretended to be sick, calling a correctional officer into his cell. And when the CEO came in to investigate, the man's cellmate took control of the guard, and two men locked him up. Then they headed over to Shepard's cell, freed him, and the group took off. You can see a marvelous reenactment of this on uh, on Unsolved Mysteries. So, the two other inmates were caught, like, the next week. But Shepard was in the wind. And on August 9th, a federal warrant was issued for Shepard's arrest. We'll put a copy of this 1980 FBI law enforcement bulletin of him on our show notes, in our show notes, in case anybody's interested. I just thought it was fun to see what one of those looked like. Yeah. So, before anyone knew it, a decade had passed and Shepard still hadn't been caught. There were occasional unconfirmed sightings over the years. One investigator told the London Free Press that, and this was an interview in 2011, he said that people in Teleco Plains spent a lot of that time being really nervous about Shepard showing back up, and they would report seeing him nearby or even at, like, family funerals. None of that was ever confirmed, though. But the investigator told the publication, quote, it was just like people seeing Santa Claus. Mm. July 1988 brought an unusual sight to rural Monroe and McMinn counties because film crews began setting up to film one of the very early episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, which you already knew was coming up because I have mentioned it about 42,000 times. As you should. Right. Right. It's important. Lynn Lawrence, a field producer for the show, told the Kingsport Times News, we've only had seven specials to air so far on NBC, and we've helped apprehend seven people who have been found to be criminals or missing heirs. We're very hopeful Joe Shepard might be found also. According to that same article, the production also used local residents and officials in the reenactments, which I kind of love. And again, like I said before, a lot of good, good accents in that. So on October 5th, 1988, the Unsolved Mysteries segment about Shepard aired. And if you're curious and want to watch it, I know the way they're numbered, like if you look them up in Wikipedia is different from how they are on Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it. Mm-hmm. So on Amazon on Prime, it is uh, labeled as season one, episode four.
0: Oh, good. I'm going to check it out after.
1: When the show aired, a resident of London, Ontario, recognized Shepard as his neighbor and called in the tip. Hmm. And this man in question, he was known as Joe Tripp and was living in this government housing project with his common law wife. Her name was Leona Marion Dejeuner. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And I'm sorry if I didn't. It looks like a French... It looks like a French name. So he's living with his common law wife and their two children together. So he has run off to Canada and built a whole life. Wow. According according to the London Free Press, local police spent seven weeks working to make sure that Joe Tripp was really Joe Shepard. They were really doing their homework. Okay. So did you come up with something to tell me about London, Ontario? Uh,
0: yeah, but there really, I did, I did some digging into it. Uh, there really, a lot of woods, everything that I kept trying to find that is interesting about it would just tell me about trails and the lakes. Oh, so
1: they there, don't have any like oddities or anything. There, there, there wasn't, it,
0: it seems like a really, really suburban, um, calm. Yeah. I was looking for maybe like, there'd be like a giant egg or something. But no, because there is a there is a place in Canada that they have a giant egg that's there.
1: Well, I recall on one of your episodes something about a giant hockey giant stick. Giant hockey seminar, stick, which appealed yeah, to there's, me. there's we have
0: a lot of weird giant things. And I so saw, I was hoping for something. No, strange. it just seemed like it's a very quaint, uh, calm little uh, wooded area. Quite so, looks quite sounds quite beautiful, to be honest with you. But I mean, I guess the weird thing about it is is its name London because it's not London.
1: For sure. On November 18th, 1988, Shepard, who was now 36, was arrested as he got out of his truck at a London convenience store. He spent about a year fighting extradition, but in December of 1989, he was taken by armed escort from London to Detroit, where he was transferred into the custody of American authorities. And then Shepard was taken from Michigan to Tennessee in a three car escort, according mm. to the London Free Press. And he kept pressing the idea that the teenagers he hung out with were responsible for both murders. So he's still not willing to take responsibility. Yeah, always somebody else. In November of 1990, after a three day trial, Shepard was convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to 99 years in the Kathy Clowers case. His conviction was actually later overturned because of some issues with the jury. Specifically, it was had to do with them having seen unsolved mysteries, and I think a cop on there called him a psychopath, and so that, that was a problem. Yeah. And then some problems with the witness. So he ended up being retried, and in that new trial he was convicted but instead he was convicted this time of involuntary manslaughter and so instead of 99 years he got a 2 to 5 year sentence on that Jeez. but in april of 1991 the now 38 year old shepherd was tried for first degree murder in the death of Roxanne Woodson And those cousins that I mentioned at the beginning, Frankie Harris and Charles Bovard, testified a lot about the night of her disappearance, which I already kind of went through earlier Mm -hmm. and peppered a lot of testimony in. Shepard's common-law wife, Leona Marion Dejeuner, and others that he'd known in Canada submitted affidavits as testimony to his character. So surprisingly... The consensus was that he was a good dad, a good friend, good neighbor, and a good husband. And they also noted that he was not violent. That's all very surprising to me.
0: Basically not violent.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, in that trial, one juror did end up being dismissed after remembering that he saw the Unsolved mystery segment on Shepard, but he was mm. replaced by an alternate. I mean, I. it sounds like this guy must have, like, once it clicked, he he brought it up to the judge and and that's why we have the alternates so the process worked there I guess on April 4th 1991 Shepard was convicted of Roxanne's murder and was sentenced to death the following day according to the AP the judge told Shepard quote you do not possess any redeeming qualities and should not live among civilized people damn Wow! harsh drop the mic But also true.
0: Yeah, I I concur with the judge.
1: So, yeah, so we got a death sentence. That was later commuted to life, which I'm not pro death penalty. So that's that's fine with me.
0: I am anti uh, capital punishment. Like, I don't believe in the death penalty, but I I always say on our show, like, if anybody were to harm my kids or do not, I would do everything I can to kill them. But that's oh, the yeah. difference. Of, that's the difference of uh, emotion versus uh, rational thinking. And so it's uh, 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 emotionally, I, yeah, what would, would have loved to have seen this guy uh, dead.
1: Absolutely.
0: But rationally, I, I can't get behind a death penalty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but there is no death penalty in Canada anymore, right?
0: No, no, there is not. It's been a long time.
1: Sanity prevails in some places. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> anyway, so the London Free Press reported that it came out on appeal that one juror was questioned as to whether or not he decided on Shepherd's guilt, to which he responded, if you want to hang him, I'll furnish the rope or something mm-hmm. like that. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of context for that like whether that was made in voir or later on in any case that seemed to be the catalyst for you know why the the death sentence was commuted to life which Mm. you know i think even if i was in favor of the death penalty i would probably agree with that because that's sort of a problem yeah In the years following Shepard's convictions, he maintained that he wasn't responsible for Kathy's death. I guess he was still pushing that idea that it was an accidental overdose or the fault of one of the others. Mm -hmm. And uh, he blamed Roxanne's death on Frankie Harris and Charles Bovard. And I can concede the timeline for him to kill Roxanne while those two cousins were away was really tight, especially for him to be able to attempt a sexual assault, murder her, and then be running back and forth so he could look like he was out of breath from chasing her. But, you know, this is the second girl who ended up dead in the Cherokee National Forest after hanging out with this guy. Yeah. Only only to be uncovered under really similar circumstances. So, I mean, I do see him as being capable of it. It, it is a little hard to swallow that those other boys didn't see any of this though what with the yeah. timeline being so tight but yeah. i mean it's been i i couldn't figure out if those guys were still alive or not i kind of tried to dig and look but um you know presumably they at least lived for this 10 year span cuz they testified um. Actually, that would have been more like twelve years later, and in all that time, if you got a couple of participants in something, somebody's going to talk. So, yeah, it's
0: so difficult to keep that uh, under wraps. Or somebody has a kid, another conscience gets to them, and
1: yeah. So I, I, you know, I guess they weren't involved. It just all happened very quickly. And now I also have to concede that Shepard had a good point when he said to the investigators, like, why in the hell would I bury her in my own yard? I mean, yes, like uh, in in a very shallow grave.
0: Well, comfort zone. A a lot of uh, a lot of uh, serial offenders typically tend to uh, especially first time uh, offenses for them they they stay near their home and so at least he well, knows he can keep an eye on the grave he can
1: well this was a second offense but this but is I what you, oh, yeah. yeah i see what you're saying but, but he
2: also wasn't very intelligent
1: that's true but i mean he was intelligent enough to point that out like why would i do that but then again
0: he had time to think about
1: right well what i'm saying is i don't know
2: like I'm not saying you didn't do it. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's weird.
1: Well, but now, like, another thing to take into consideration is, you know, we we don't know for uh, for sure that on the night of Roxanne's death that he was using drugs. But, like, True. if he was doing drugs or drinking, plus just the overall stress of, you know, it, being involved in some sort of event that ends up with somebody being dead, he might just not have been thinking logically or maybe, you know, was going to move her later. Who yeah, knows? totally. Yeah. In a 2011 interview with the London Free Press, that Ontario paper, one of the original investigators made the point that if Shepard was innocent, why didn't he, you know, later on, once it was a thing, why didn't he ask for any sort of DNA testing?
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: To clear him. That same story talked about this other article that was published in 2000 in the Sweetwater, Tennessee newspaper, The Advocate and Democrat. And I couldn't track that down. But the 2000 story said at the time, Shepard was still getting letters in prison from Dejeuner. If I had been this lady, I would have said bye. Toodaloo. I don't know. They, They had. You know, yeah, that has... they had kids together. It also pointed out that he'd gotten his high school diploma and he had to walk with a cane. So, sorry for that. <laughs> I'm not sorry.
0: I didn't think you were.
1: As an aside, I noticed a comment on that London Free Press article, which normally, you know, I never read the comments, but it was just there. And the person who left it Pointed out that investigators in Ontario should probably check records for similar crimes, like people with clothing over their faces. Because I mean, I, I feel like that's reasonable. This dude did this twice. Yeah,
0: and he had some. Yeah, he had some distinct signatures.
1: Yeah, I think there's some serial killer potential there. So, do we think he just stopped and like was this good family man forever? I don't know.
0: was a good comment by said person
1: yeah i think there's there's a strong possibility there could have been other victims in that yeah. 10 years he was a fugitive on august 28th 2010 57 year old joe Shepard died from natural causes in the northeast correctional facility in mountain city tennessee his death went mostly unnoticed in contrast to his time as a fugitive who you know appeared on unsolved mysteries And Shepard is buried in Telecope Lane Cemetery. Kathy Clowers is buried in Madisonville, Tennessee. And Roxanne Woodson is buried in Connorsville, Indiana, which I believe is also where she was born. So that is the story. Whew. Yeah, that was a lot. This is the longest one we've done in a while.
2: I don't know. I feel like one of the more recent ones we did was pretty long.
1: Did it have singing though? One of the uh one of the summer ones. I don't re- I don't even remember what happened in the summer anymore.
2: <laughs> no, like the ones we just did that took place in the summer. Oh,
1: oh yeah. Yeah, those were kinda long. I know in that middle one I did with Steven was was a little on the lengthy side, I think. Or no, maybe it was the last one that I did with you. I don't know. I don't remember what happens like the day yeah, what before day is this? anymore.
0: <laughs> is it september? We
1: we're, we're in the we're in the future. Well, What's behind us.
0: I mean, that's one way to look at it. I like Yeah, no. that's <laughs> The right way that's to look at it. the science way. I like to think of us as mm-hmm. um, punctually late. I don't, know. I don't know.
1: But so polite. What? We need your help. We want to go to Crimecon to represent something's not right in Flat Rock in twenty twenty, but they are pretty picky about who they give spots to on Podcastero. Well, apparently not too picky, right? Scott, cause they're going to let you go. whoa. How dare
0: you? Jesus, yeah, they made made that mistake twice so.
1: well, they're not going to invite us unless a lot of people tell them they want to see us there. And so we are asking you to go to our website. And click the link to fill out CrimeCon's quick five-question survey to let them know that you want to see Something's Not Right in Flat Rock there. They get two shows for the price of one.
0: I, I did it. I Thank signed up.
1: We really appreciate it.
0: I want to see you guys there. I want you guys to have a booth next to us.
1: Oh, man. I'll fight you. I'll come in a Predator's jersey.
0: Oh, and I'll bring my Canucks jersey. Because we did just kick your ass.
1: Oh, just God. Like, I shouldn't have brought it up. Uh yeah. So anyway, the link to that survey is is the top of our main page at notrightpodcast.net. And we really appreciate the help. We want to get more exposure for the Kathy Jones case, as well as the many other lesser known cases we've covered.
0: Do it, people. Do it, damn it.
1: And I really just want to go wear my Preds jersey. (laughs) (laughs) I will fight. I'll throw down. We can sell tickets. I'm scratchy. It could be like a whole... A whole other side of it. Maybe see, maybe that's how we pitch this to crime con is they can make money off of me because I will fight people. Will you? Yes. I will over hockey matters. Really? Really. Have you though before? Have I fought anybody? Oh hell no. Yeah. I did punch a boy in the stomach once when I was in elementary school and I punched him hard. But then I think he punched me back. Which I had it coming. Not good. I had it coming. Yeah. I I punched no. him. He, you know.
0: Well, maybe your punch was called for. It. Like maybe he needed a good stomach. Oh, punch. for sure.
2: Man, I've never hit anyone that didn't have it coming.
1: That's right. Man, I now I just want I want a clip of just you saying that.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's true.
1: All right, I'm gonna thank the people now. Thank you as always to Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Audrey Arndt, Hope Brazel, Patton Fuquay, Allison Klima, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Terry Quillen.
0: Terry? Terry Quillen?
1: Mm
0: hmm. The Terry Quillen?
1: The one and only. Mm hmm.
0: Holy shit. Uh, uh, do, you know, do you know the story of Terry?
1: I don't think I do.
0: Oh, shit. Tell I don't know me. how you couldn't know. Tell Have me. you not seen her show?
1: No, I haven't.
0: The McQuillan hour.
1: But why is it the McQuillan hour if her last name's Quillan?
0: Well, th- that's part of of the mystery. It, it makes the show cuz we're all guessing, wondering why.
2: Oh, is that is the it show really? though, where you find out that she really is from Scotland and has a castle? Oh.
0: That's the How do you
2: know?
1: I and have so you seen know. that.
0: Yeah. And get, it, it, have you seen the have you been to the castle?
1: Not yet. I have not. Well, I've heard she's really difficult.
0: She is so difficult. She demanded a moat.
2: I Well, I, I heard that she has one of those Scrooge McDuck rooms where she just swims through m- money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, yeah. People really uh, don't take kindly to that. She gets a lot of criticism for it. But in my opinion, in my opinion, you know, like. Go for it. That's L- her live money. Live your best life. Live oh, your best sure. life. Sure, I
2: don't. I mean, I I feel like it would be a little painful, but you know. Well, to that, each their own.
0: Yeah. Well, that's part of being a difficult person, like she is. She wants. <laughs> she wants that. She wants that pain. She wants to feel discomfort <laughs> and uh, broken limbs, even perhaps. You know, it's, it's, that's her way of giving back to the people.
2: <laughs> Thank Cause, you.
0: Cause, yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, people, She she knows people don't like her. And so she's like, I know they'll, I know, I know, I know people will take joy in my pain, but if I have to, if I have to go through that, it might as well be in money, which I enjoy. So it works for everybody. Yeah, wow.
1: it does. So, the,
0: the McQuillan hour.
1: Do Do you want to know more about her? Please. She's my mom. <laughs> oh my god! It,
0: it all makes sense now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It
0: all everything is coming together. God, why does she have to be that way? You have the inside scoop.
1: Well, I, you know, I don't know why she is the way she is, and I tell her that all the time.
0: Does she let you? jump in the money pool no never or the money silo no she, she, she gave me her car though
1: key. she gave me her oh, yeah. car so i yeah, can't complain too sh- much
0: no you should i should well you should yeah i'll let her know. oh terry oh terry terry, terry.
1: <laughs> 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 okay well thank you oh she's mm. gonna love this yes Thank you so much for doing this with us. And we... oh,
0: th- thank you. So- sorry if I was a bumbling idiot. No, no, we no. should do this again
1: sometime.
0: Okay, great. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh no. Oh, <laughs> not,
1: no, not no. Un- <laughs> not unless you have something written. Yeah,
0: <laughs> in a hundred and two shows of Dark Routine, I have not <laughs> written a thing. So I doubt that'll happen.
1: Oh Lord. All right. Well. Good night, everybody. Oh. Good night, everybody. Bye.
0: This is the song at the end of the show. Oh, it's a great song, and I'm singing it myself. Do, 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 do. It's a great little ditty written by me. It's okay if you're dancing to it. Do, 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 do.